So I want to read from 1 Corinthians 15, 20. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. Holy Spirit, we invite you to come and anoint your word, these scriptures, Lord, to our minds, to our ears, to our hearts. Lord, activate them in our lives so that we are not just hearers of the word, but doers. We would lay hold of your truth, Lord, and and do what you ask us to do by the grace of Jesus Christ and for his glory. We ask it in his name. Amen. So there are a couple of points that jump out at me in this verse. Uh, The first being Paul's emphasis on the factuality of the resurrection. In fact, in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. This is not some fantasy story, some myth drawn up out of the vain hopes of a messianic group that has lost the elite to the brutality of a tyrannical governmental structure or a corrupt religious system. No, this is a historical event. This is a happening, and one well known enough in its time that Paul, some 30 or 40 years later, can give an accurate account of the post-resurrection events. In 1 Corinthians 15, 3, he says, For I delivered to you, as of first importance, what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve, then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James and then to all the apostles, last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. The other thing that connects with me is this analogy of fruit. Jesus as the first fruit. I find it very easy to connect with the metaphor and can imagine him springing up from the ground full of life and hope. But it goes deeper than metaphor. There is, in fact, an underlying biblical reality taking place here. A replaying of an ancient event that has been emblazoned upon the heart of God. So first I want to look at the stage that this drama is being played out on in John 19, verse 38. It says, After these things, Joseph of Arimathea, who was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus. Pilate gave him permission. So he came and he took away his body. Nicodemus also, who earlier had come to Jesus by night, came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds in weight. So they took the body of Jesus and bound it in linen cloths with spices, as is the burial custom of the Jews. Now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden, and I want you to remember this. There was a garden. And in the garden, a new tomb in which no one had yet been laid. 
So because of the Jewish day of preparation, since the tomb was close at hand, they laid Jesus there. So this one, who was to become the first fruits, was planted like a seed, as it were, very appropriately in a garden. And I say that not because seed should always be neatly planted in a garden. Quite the opposite, the favored planting method of the first century agriculture as described by Jesus in the parables was to scatter seeds wherever it would fall and see what takes root. But this event is a God story, a reenactment of God's wondrous techniques. We look in Genesis, the second chapter. It says, These are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created, in the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens, when no bush of the field was yet in the land, and no small plant in the field had yet sprung up. For the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land, and there was no man to work the ground. And a mist was going up from the land, and was watering the whole face of the ground. Then the Lord God formed the man of the dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living creature. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden. And there he put the man whom he had formed. Do you see it? God planted a garden, but could not find a man to tend it. And this is so thematic of our inability to work our way into God's grace or favor. The prophet Isaiah encapsulates the dynamic in Isaiah 59, 14. Justice is turned back. Righteousness stands far away, for truth has stumbled in the public squares, and uprightness cannot enter. Truth is lacking, and he who departs from evil makes himself a prey. The Lord saw it, and it displeased him that there was no justice. He saw that there was no man, and wondered that there was no one to intercede. Then his own arm brought him salvation, and his righteousness, his own righteousness, upheld him. So out of necessity... Up from the very ground he had planted, God draws to himself a man to work his land, to share his domain, and to care for his creation. God did this with Adam, and then he said what? Be fruitful. And God did it again with Jesus, satisfying his own calls for a righteous man, while at the same time dealing with our inabilities to answer that call. The Young's literal translation of the Bible translates 1 Corinthians 15.20 and really captures the scope and impact of the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ by taking away the nuance and the construct of the English language and just stating the original text word for word in the Greek. So here it is again first in the ESV version, 1 Corinthians 15.20. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. And what a glorious statement this is. 
this absolutely incredible singular historical event 2,000 years ago. God raised Jesus Christ up from the grave. And that's exactly what it says. Jesus was dead, and now he is alive. Yes. And if that's all there was to it, in and of itself, it would be absolutely incredible. But we're talking about a God event. An abundantly above all that we ask or think event. And I see so much more at work here. I want you to listen to the literal word-for-word translation of the same verse from the Young's literal translation. 1 Corinthians 15, 20. And now Christ hath been raised, hath risen out of the dead, the firstfruits of those sleeping he became. Did you catch the distinction? It isn't just that Christ was raised from the dead. He was literally raised out of the dead. Now suddenly the impact of this singular incredible event that happened to Jesus becomes a grand sweeping event impacting all of humanity. You all know the story, I'm sure. The warning to Adam and Eve in Eden. If you eat of the fruit of the tree of knowledge... If you decide to go your own way, do your own thing, fulfill all your own lust and desires, and turn away from my rule and reign, God said, you will surely die. We are all dead men walking, dead in our sin, and bereft of the abundance of life we were created to possess. Christ has risen out of the dead. This is an incarnational, transitional moment in eternity. The light and life of men came and walked among the dead to bring life. He dwelt with the sinner to offer forgiveness. He embraced the outcast, bringing acceptance. He sought out the brokenhearted and the captives, proclaiming liberty and wholeness. This sinless God-man full of life, bore the sins of all, and tasted death for every man. To think that Jesus just woke up from being dead is to totally miss the power of the resurrection. He became sin for us and took it into the grave. He tasted death for us and rose again victorious. He triumphed over death defeated the grave, led captivity captive, and emerged from the tomb in a new man incarnation. In the first incarnation, it says that he put on flesh and dwelt with us. Now emerging from the tomb, he hath clothed himself with immortality. O death, where is your sting? O grave, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. What is the goal, the purpose behind the resurrection? Who gets the victory? We do. Listen. But thanks be to God who gives us 
the victory. We get the victory. That Jesus got raised up out of the dead is the obvious and simple answer to the question of the resurrection. You see, because there is an incarnational formation process going on here. Look at how John describes it in his gospel in John 1. He was in the world, that is Jesus, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. But as many as received him, to them he gave power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but born of God. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Oh, this is new. This is different. Do you see who John has sandwiched in the middle of those verses? Wrapped up somewhere between the incarnation of Christ as Emmanuel, that is, God with us, and the manifestation of him in his glory? He has done something quite extraordinary with us. And Peter pinpoints the moment when it happened in 1 Peter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith. Now listen to this. For a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. You mean there's more? Do I mean there's more? Yes, 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 absolutely. It is not just that we have been saved out of the world and from the consequences of our sin and the curse of the law and the power of darkness. We have also been called into into the kingdom of God and his purposes for our lives. We have been called into a lively hope and into a state of righteousness that heretofore had been unattainable. Ephesians 2, verse 1 says this, You were dead, you were dead, I was dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of humanity. But God. Aren't you glad that's in there? But God. Being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, has made us alive together with Christ by grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. 
2 Corinthians 5.21 says this, For our sake he made him, Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Not just righteous before God, but the righteousness of God. So that when the Father looks upon Jesus, he also sees us because we have become the body of Christ. Not in the corporate sense of being organized under some set of regulatory contractual agreement, but in an incarnational way so that Christ, the risen Christ, the glorified Christ, the seated in heavenly places Christ is manifest and made known through our words, our actions, and even our very presence. If Christ is to be seen today, he will be seen through his church, the body of Christ. You may be the only Christ somebody ever meets. So on Easter Sunday morning, He was raised up out of the dead so that we could become the living body of Christ, the incarnation of the new man, Christ, full of glory, kingdom power, and authority, manifesting the love of God and overcoming the darkness that holds the heart of men in bondage. And when all is said and done and we stand before our Savior on that day, We'll only have to give an account for one thing. 2 Corinthians 5.10 For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body. We are the body of Christ. Whether good or evil. I'm going to close today and call for a time of prayer and ministry with a series of questions for you to consider. We're going to pray and invite the Holy Spirit to come and speak to your hearts today to perhaps help you sort out the answers to some of these questions. Is the life of Christ your life today? Has the risen Savior arisen in your heart as the Lord of your life? Is the power of the resurrection evident in your day-to-day living? We're going to pray and invite the Holy Spirit to come as the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead. And if you need a fresh touch from God, I invite you to come up. Come up out of the mundane of living your own life and into the power of living in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Come, Holy Spirit, come. We invite you, Lord, Spirit of the living God, to just begin to move in our hearts and our minds today. 
What an opportunity for your people. Heaven is opened wide. Although the tomb was empty, heaven is filled, O oh God, with grace, with mercy, with power, with authority, with kingdom purpose for our lives, O oh God. Lord, you've got a plan for each and every one in this room. Each and every one you know by name. Each and every one, O oh God, you love with an enduring love that offers all. So we invite you, Holy Spirit, stir up our hearts. Stir up our hearts and speak to us today. I'm going to ask the prayer teams to come up front here now. And if you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, if you have never said to the risen Christ, yes, Lord, I acknowledge that you died on the cross for me. If you have never received forgiveness for your sins, then you don't know what it means to be really, really free. Today can be that day. This same Jesus that was raised up by the power of the Spirit is alive today, still forgiving sin, still ministering the grace of God, still calling people to himself. Is he calling you today? As he spoke your name in this place today, and come forward, let someone pray with you and explain what the scriptures say about so great a salvation. Or perhaps you have known the Lord for some period of time, but you know you're not living in resurrection power. You know you don't have an empowered life. You're just struggling through day to day, week to week, making it to church on Sunday and getting by the rest of the week. That is not kingdom living. That is so far less than what God has for you. Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and life more abundant. Evaluate your life right here in this moment and, and answer to yourself, am I living abundantly? Am I really living under the power and authority of Jesus Christ? Am I seeing things happening in my life that cause me to stand in awe and wonder that his presence abides with me? If you don't know Jesus this way, he wants to know you this way. Same spirit that raised Christ from the dead can dwell in you by his spirit. He wants you to know his power. 